Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the latest trends in motoring and transport for serious and not-so-serious issues. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including an Australian union calls for the imprisonment of transport executives running unsafe operations. We talk about small, light commercial vehicles, the sort used by couriers and florists. We road test the BMW 2 Series Coupe. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including a Manchester man gets potholes fixed by drawing rude pictures around them. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. In 2014, 220 people died from 190 fatal crashes involving heavy trucks or buses. Now, a union has called for the imprisonment of transport executives who are caught running unsafe operations. This follows a police blitz on the safety of heavy vehicles in South Australia, where nearly 50% of trucks tested were caught running unsafe operations. Of 63 trucks stopped at Cavan, north of Adelaide, 30 were found to have major defects, mostly with their brakes and steering mechanisms. Australian Transport Workers Union South Australian Branch Secretary, Ray Wyatt, said it was clear that fines did not go far enough. South Australian Transport Minister Stephen Mulligan said he would meet with his interstate counterparts next month to push for a nationwide crackdown. Governments are always struggling to find the money to pay for major transport projects. The Victorian Government has started funding for their Metro Rail project, an $11 million rail link running through the CBD. One idea that has been suggested by one of the world's biggest engineering and project management firms is placing a special levy lasting decades on commercial properties within walking distance of the planned rail line. Such a levy helped pay for the City Loop, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and is used regularly on international rail projects. The $28 billion cross-rail project, being built under London at the moment, will have 28% of its construction cost paid for by an annual increase in commercial property rates around stations. The Lord Mayor of Melbourne immediately branded it a bad idea. Motorcycles and scooters will be given preferential treatment over cars and trucks in Melbourne's inner city, if proposals by the Melbourne City Council are implemented. Paid car parking could be replaced with free scooter spaces, while the Council will also try to force developers of new apartment and office towers to create more motorcycle parking and supply lockers for protective clothing. To justify their stance, proponents quote a European report titled Commuting by Motorcycle Impact Analysis which states that if 10% of private cars were replaced by motorcycles, commuting times could decrease by 40%. The Sunday Times in Western Australia reports that the state government is working on new laws that would allow cyclists of any age to ride on footpaths. 
Currently, the law states that only children under the age of 12 can legally ride bikes on footpaths. There is currently no speed limit for cyclists in this situation. In the Northern Territory, cyclists are allowed on footpaths but have a speed limit of 20 kilometres an hour. There are calls for Western Australia to have a 10 kilometre an hour speed limit. The Bicycle Transportation Alliance, the Main Road Cycling and Pedestrian Advisory Group and Bicycling WA all called for footpath cycling laws to be explored. Recently, the Western Australian Government shut down a digital billboard in order to conduct a road safety review. Now the City of Philadelphia has also taken steps to restrict large-scale digital advertising that can be a distraction to motorists and pedestrians. Two weeks ago, City Council passed a sweeping overhaul of billboard regulations, but that was followed last week by a surprise move by the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. The state agency revoked the city's authority to regulate billboards along state highways in the city. A key feature of the original bill was that existing static billboards could be converted to digital in certain parts of the city, as long as the owner removed two other static billboards. It also imposed new restrictions, including limits on the distance of digital billboards from residential neighbourhoods and from other billboards. Apparently an honest, if somewhat colloquial, comment can get you into trouble, especially if you are the boss. Sir Peter Hendy, Transport for London's Transport Commissioner, said in a magazine interview that rail services in the southeastern region were not good. In fact, he used the four-letter S-word. He went on to describe commuting as like stepping into the Wild West. Manuel Cortes, leader of the TSSA Rail Union, which represents ticket inspectors, said, Our ticket inspectors do a difficult enough job without these sort of crass comments from Sir Peter adding to their often stressful working day. Sir Peter has written to David Brown, Chief Executive of the Go Ahead Group, and David Statham, Managing Director, to apologise to all employees for the remarks. And that has been the news. For the first quarter of this year, what is Citroen's best-selling car? It's not any of their sedans or their grand Picasso people mover. It's their small, light commercial, the Berlingo. Mind you, that is damned by faint praise, as Citroen sales are rock bottom. But commercial vans less than two and a half litres are those little vans favoured by couriers and florists, as, I, as far as I can make out. I have been driving one of the players in the market, the Fiat Doblo, although its sales are even lower than the Citroen. What is this vehicle niche all about and what are some of the features for these typical cars? Let's ask Chris Mullett, editor of Delivery Magazine, the only specialist magazine for vehicles for the delivery industry. Uh, Chris, thanks very much for your time. Good morning, David. And uh, now, this who's the big players in this game? Because there are quite the big- a few cars. Yes, there are. The, the big player in this has been the Volkswagen Caddy um, as a small van, which has really got about uh, just over half the market share, and it's held that well through the last couple of years. New Caddy, though, has just been released in Europe, will be here in about three or four months' time, 
Um, so the competition's really hotting up in this segment. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, uh, is it florists and, and others who use them? It's, it's anybody that needs something compact to get around town that's easy to park um, and very cheap to run. It's um, predominantly manual gearbox vehicles in this, this area. Um, a lot of small but uh, high-performing diesels also available. But, of course, if, you, if your mileage is not um, high each year, you're probably better off sticking to a petrol. Okay. They're actually quite car-like in their feel. I mean, they look like an Esky on wheels, but they, they really are quite car-like, really. They're easy to drive? Very easy to drive, very comfortable, and now you're getting all the safety items that you'd expect in a car, and also easy to use because access into the rear cargo area can be through sliding doors on both sides just as much as through the traditional barn doors at the rear. Do they all have sliding doors on both sides? I think the Fiat claims to be rather uh, good at this, uh, well, certainly the widest and tallest sliding door on both sides. I think that's uh, part of their claim. Yeah, with all these things, it's a case of which box you tick on the order form. Some of the manufacturers have the sliding doors on both sides available in other markets and only bring in one on one side in this in this market. But when you're getting out of the driver's door, you really want to be able to access whatever's in the back very quickly. And you can't necessarily do that by leaning back into the vehicle from the driver's seat. You've got to do it from the side. Yeah, no, so that's a, an important feature to it. Uh, uh, headroom. Gee, I tell you what, um, because the roof line goes back over the taller back, it really makes for some great headroom, certainly in the Fiat Doblo. Certainly, the Doblo is a particularly nice little vehicle, and yet there's yet another one of that uh, new version coming out later this year. But the um, headroom inside the, the cabin is, is tremendous, as you say, but also to the over-windscreen storage. You've usually got four-width parcel shelves to put all your doc- document books and uh, maps and things like that up there. So that keeps everything off the, the floor of the vehicle. But bins and trays and things are an important part of these sorts of cars. It is, and although initially there was a, a problem getting a long load in some of these vehicles, um, many of these little small vans now have a passenger seat that actually folds flat or tips forward, so that increases your cargo deck length, which that, is quite a substantial advantage. The, the thing about the Doblo, too, and I had to carry a big lounge chair just coincided with me having this car. It was ideal for it, but the back doors not only open out 90 degrees, but you just flick a little thing and it opens up 180. So you can, you know, just have that access available. Very useful, too. And um, that means that you can also load uh, things into the back of these small vans with a forklift truck without, um, without having to worry about whether or not you might damage the doors because they fold back, as you say, against the side of the van. I guess it's mainly space, but weight would also do it. Uh, again, it tells me the Doblo is rated at 1,000 kilograms, which is above the usual 750. Well, let me ask, is weight an important point? Um, I think putting a ton in these small vans is, is pushing the bounds a little bit. Um, <laughs> 500 to 750 kilos is a much more acceptable weight. And, of course, with all these things, it all depends where the weight is put. If it's all concentrated between the back axle and the back door, you're going to have a real um, pedal bin effect of sort of yeah. back down, tail, uh, toe up type of thing. Yeah, ma- makes the steering a bit light, I should imagine. Yeah, I think it reduces your safety levels, but I'd, I'd, I'd suggest that one ton is, is really at the top of the limit, but um, most of these vehicles would never carry that sort of weight. Chris, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. 
As always, my pleasure. Thank you, David. And that's Chris Mullett, the editor of Delivery Magazine, the only specialist magazine for vehicles for the delivery industry, talking about uh, particularly the small little courier-type vans that are part of our Australian market. And you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. A coupe is a compromise of function for the benefit of style. You take a four-door sedan and shorten it and remove two doors in order to get those swooping lines. Is it worth the effort? I have just driven the BMW 2 Series Coupe, an elegant car. It looks okay, but is it functional to operate? A person who has also driven it is Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Brent, BMW made that great coupe back in the, what, the 90s or so, the 635 or a bit before that? Yep, a bit before that, and yes, it was one of the most elegant, soul-stirring cars you could ever lay your eyes on. And they raced it, of course, against the Commodores and Falcons and things, didn't they? They did. Um, we won't mention the the, the, the livery, but the, the, the signage, but they were black and gold, and they were um, guaranteed to give you lung cancer. <laughs> but the sponsor, not the car, that is. But uh, um, yes, um, they, they looked sensational, and still do. Still do. When you see an old six series BMW coupe on the road, you kind of go, "Yeah, that's good." Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. I think it it sort of got that balance right. And a lot of them haven't. You look at the Yanks. They had those huge Yank tanks, the Pontiac Parisian, the Chev Bel Air, the Ford Galaxy. They were really like they they took some uh, doors out and put more boot on. It just made them big, long land tanks, really, didn't it? Absolutely, and they didn't know how to go around corners like BMWs do. No, no, that would have been. There were the British ones, which were more stately. Uh, not so much upmarket, but a little upmarket. The Rover, three and a half litre coupe, the Bentley Continental, Rolls Royce Phantom coupe. They they were all uh, uh, along those lines. I thought they looked a bit bulky and didn't uh, do as well. The Japanese got into it even with the Toyota Crown between 1971 and 74 was the best. Yeah, and the less said about that, the better, I think, David. Yeah. Good car, but stylistically, no. No, 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 it didn't work. Didn't work. Celica, whole better deal. Oh, okay. Celica's had its ups and downs, I think, and and Verge is on more than just a sports car rather than the sedan turned to a coupe. Datsun's had a million of them, 1,200, 1,600, 120Y. 240k they had a lot of them but there were also some uh, japanese ones which were performance the isuzu billet gt that uh, mm, performance yep mm. <laughs> well <laughs> I, I guess in 1966 a billet with two carburetors was was a performance machine yes. <laughs> yeah well that's that was the time where you had steel rims and you painted them silver wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, a, a different. Of course, uh, Holden and Ford went for their uh, Monaro and the, the two-door Falcon, although they never called them a coupe, to my knowledge. But still. Now, 
now we've got the little BMWs. I think the two series are now with BMWs odd number series one three five are all sedans, and the even number ones are coupes and convertibles. Just to get that, so this two series is really a sort of a one series except for a coupe made in a coupe style. Yeah, it, it is, but that, that's a very uh, that, that's the easy way out. David, I'm sorry to say, um, the, the original one series coupe was nice but small. Hmm. The two series looks a little bit, bit the same, but it's bigger and still looks nice. Yes, yeah, I it, think it's, it's, actually, it's actually not a, not a terribly small car. I mean, between four point four meters, four point five meters long, and you know, it's it's seventeen hundred and fifty, seventeen hundred and eighty millimeters wide. It's, it's not a it's not a small car. It's getting up to almost compact levels. Yeah, no, I, I found that you know it was a bit cramped in the back, but you could at least get the young fella in there. Uh, with putting the seats forward, uh, I've got to say, yeah, you know, the, the outside of it looks a bit. Uh, but just standard BMW at the front, but the back tail I think is quite smooth and, and quite quite stylish. Yeah, we we have to give BMW credit for knowing how to come up with some very nice looking cars. I mean, we've got past the whole um, flame surfacing put forward by one of the designers a few years ago that had sort of odd shapes along the flanks, but mm. but now they have come up with a very solid package. And, and the funny thing is that they, they have this coupe across um, a number of uh, engine sizes and names and packages and the whole thing. And, and the, the entry-level car, the 220i, looks quite mild and sedate and, and you know, you, you, want to, you want to be a part of it, you want to be involved with it because it looks very inviting. But then you look at the, at the M235i parked beside it and it looks downright mean. Same car, they've just done the wheels, they've done a bit of paint, they've done a bit of extra uh, underbody stuff on the, uh, on the front bumper bar, you know, deep spoiler and this sort of thing. Just, just detail stuff has changed the character, the visual character of that car. And, and the fact that they can do that with it, with, while retaining the same vehicle is, is a, a credit to the designers. Brent, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. It's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, and we're talking about our driving of the BMW 2 Series Coupe. And you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. It's Controversy Corner time where we discuss some of the more unusual issues to do with motoring and transport. And to join me on the line, I have Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Uh, Brian, am I right? Controversy or is it Controversy Corner? Either way, works for me. Brian, you lead us with a story. Certainly, David. Um, we've probably all heard of Banksy, the famous sort of graffiti-style artist whose uh, pieces on uh, doors and walls can be sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, well, in uh, Manchester, um, an anonymous artist has uh, been drawing attention to potholes on the road by drawing 
large comedy penises um, using spray paint, and uh, he has earned the nickname Wanksy. So uh, he's actually found that drawing these offensive pictures uh, on the pothole has uh, accelerated their repair by the Manchester authorities. Um, so he's, uh, he wants to make, make people smile and draw attention to the problem, and it seems to be working. So uh, he's, um, apparently some potholes that were left for a year, once he put an offensive graffiti on them, they were filled within 48 hours. So, David, uh, we need to draw attention to uh, our, our sort of uh, city's problems using uh, mock genitalia. Well, there are some roads in Australia that would require a drawing every metre or so. Uh, nah. It'd end up like a, a graphic in a bordello, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, and then we, you'd have to deal with the crash history of, of cars full of nuns. Who are <laughs> <laughs> shocked and take their eyes yeah. off the road. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if there could be other symbols like a target or a cross or something, or if, if the Conservative Party was in power, you know, vote Labor. Or no, some... That could work. I think the point is that they really want to cover these things up, so mm. that makes them repair them. So uh, I think it has to be something offensive, um, probably more than just please repair this pothole. Or but, uh, For a while, people would do things like plant a tree in it. Remember that, David? There was somebody who'd, mm. who'd plant a little tree in the pothole, Fill it with yeah, soil right, right. and put yeah. a little plant in, and that would work. Is this so, effect- yeah, I think anything that gets them doing it quicker is a great thing. Is it a, a way of getting it noticed or getting it fixed? Uh, you know, to some degree, you know, council are unaware of the patches that are needed on the road. But perhaps this, mm. uh, if you have one of these drawings out there, then you're likely for other people to report. To report it, get this, get this thing off the street mm. outside my house yes. where my children yes. play. Mm. Yes, because get get this dick off my street. It's probably um, <laughs> it's a tough I, explanation. It is. It is. I, I read um, penises in Ramsbottom and got got a bit confused <laughs> about what the story was about. Uh, but uh, it, either way, but either way, people who live in a town with a name like that shouldn't be so easily offended. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Actually, the, the spokesman for the council says every penny we have to spend cleaning off this graffiti is a penny less that we have to spend on repairing the potholes. So I yeah, think but, they're, they're but, definitely not spending enough on potholes yeah. and Although they're getting I, very maybe, va- good value for money in cleaning. Maybe they're, um, they're just not um, fixing them too quickly because he's using um, uh, this biodegradable paint that will wash away in about a week. So they just so, have to uh, wait. Yeah, so if, if they stop fixing the potholes, then the graffiti would go away on its own. Um, but I don't think that's what uh, uh, Mr Wanksy wants. Well, um, probably uh, the road would wash away anyway, wouldn't it? <laughs> That'd get through to the, the sign there. The council was um, pretty outspoken. Painting obscenities around potholes will not get them repaired any quicker but simply waste valuable time and resources was what they claimed. Except, of course, that it seems to be getting them repaired quite a bit quicker. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's working. Could, could you end up with you know, graffiti on schools where, you know, where there's a demountable there, so to speak, that rather than a permanent building, anything you don't want, might this lead to it being signed? I don't, I don't think um, that kind of graffiti in a school would um, be noticed. <laughs> it's not going to stand out, is it? <laughs> <laughs> They'd be there repairing everything, <laughs> whether it needed it or not. <laughs> but it's not, certainly not working for us getting new trains. <laughs> no, no, no. 
<laughs> no, but apparently the, the local streets are having a miners bigger than yours pothole competition. <laughs> the size doesn't count, Errol. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, Errol, do you have a story for us? Yes, well, uh, it, it's still in the gutter. Um, the, um, if I told you uh, welcome to the land of rape and honey, uh, you might be a little offended, um, perhaps even frightened, but that's just what the slogan is for the town of Tisdale in Canada, uh, one it's had for 60 years. The slogan adorns a gigantic sign on the road into Tisdale, but after complaints the sign is being uh, misunderstood, the rape refers to the town's once-booming oilseed rape industry, of course. The town has started a survey asking for alternative slogans. Uh, what, do you, what do you think it should be called instead? Yeah, it's, yes, anything but that. I had the problem one time. I was writing a, a regular column for a Chinese magazine, a newspaper, and it was getting translated. It was about cars. And I was talking about alternate fuel sources and I said that one source, of course, came from rapeseed. And then I suddenly had a great panic as to how that would be interpreted or how it would be translated. It might... it's, uh, it's an interesting place. It's in Canada, in, in Saskatchewan. Um, and I, I just looked up, they, uh, they have a tourism site that says the top four things to do in Tisdale. So it's, uh, it's not a very exciting so place. Only, <laughs> there is only four, is that what they say? Well, it, it's funny. They, they, they say four and they only list three. One is the, the Kipper Biscal Regional Park, the Tisdale and District Museum, and the Beehive Hotel. So, thankfully, there's no sort of uh, offensive things to do in Tisdale, but um, there's not a lot of stuff there. So, look, I think um, it's certainly uh, tourism-wise not the sort of place where you'd be uh, your family would encourage you to stop. <laughs> perhaps we'll perhaps we'll drive. Past his Dale. Oh, where, where are we now, Daddy? Oh, never mind. What's in Tisdale, Daddy? Because <laughs> America well, and a, a whole range of other places has some pretty weird names, don't they? Cut and Shoot in Texas, Embarrass in Minnesota, Hell in Michigan, which led to a great sign someone had uh, uh, put on the uh, a power pole, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and lots of potholes. <laughs> I thought it was rather good. <laughs> Gentlemen, always good to talk to you. Uh, we probably pushed the bounds of respectability, but uh, nonetheless, uh, for covering the issues, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Somebody David. has to do it, David. Someone has to do it. And that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Chris Mullett, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.